This week we're in a new Parsha, as we are every week. And last week we read about the first seven plagues that God brought on the Egyptians, supposedly to cause Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery. But hold that thought because we're going to look at what the results were from that. This week, this week comes, we come to Bo. And God brings the most, the worst and most devastating plagues. Locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. As Norm read earlier from Exodus 10 verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, or come to Pharaoh, which usually Bo can go come or go. In this case, he's saying, Come into Pharaoh. For I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them. I've always, you know, had this in the back of my mind whenever I read Bo. And I mentioned last week that the famous line from the Ten Commandments, let my people go, but they didn't complete it. It's let my people go so they may serve me or worship me. But how many have ever wondered, in that verse, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the people go. If God was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, why did he bother to send Moses in there on a, on a mission that was going to fail from the moment he issued it? We don't know. We're not God. But I think it was more of he wanted to test Moses and Aaron and their resolve for following his orders, his commands, as he said them, even though he knew that it was going to fail. Of course, following the final plague, Pharaoh gives in, and he—I want—I I, kind of like the way that Tree of Life version puts it in Exodus chapter ten. I didn't give it to you, Geraldine, but that's okay. Uh, verse twenty-eight, Pharaoh said, "Go away from me." When I talked about Bo before, I, I kind of phrased it like this. Get out of here. But in essence, he's saying, get out of town. Leave. I don't want to see you anymore. You won't see my face anymore. Which then, as we know, would begin the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. So, a few questions that come to mind. Other than why did God bother to send them if he knew he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But what was the purpose of the ten plagues. And was it to pressure Pharaoh to set the Israelites free? Because don't you think that God was more than capable to set them free without going through all this plague thing? He's God. He's supreme over all. He could have set them free in a moment. But no, he had a little bit of something else going on here. He didn't need Pharaoh's permission to set them free. He didn't need Pharaoh to say, okay, he's God. But if we look back at last week's parasha, Vayera, and then this week's parasha, God doesn't really look at the Egyptians as an enemy. It's not someone that he has to defeat and wipe out. Instead, he's sending a more important message to them. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai. 
He wasn't destroying the Egyptians. That wasn't the purpose. He was, the plagues were to show God's supremacy and his judgment over all the false gods of Egypt, which there were many. Remember back in Exodus chapter 5 verse 2 when Moses went into Pharaoh and it said, but Pharaoh said, who is Adonai that I should listen to his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Adonai. And besides, I'm not going to let them go. But in the end, even Pharaoh himself came to the realization of the power of the Most High God, at least to a degree. See, God was not just concerned with the beliefs of the Egyptians. He was concerned about doing away with the idols and setting his people free to worship him. So the Torah tells us God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he could demonstrate his power to the nations and that their false gods were powerless against him. He also said in Exodus chapter 9 verse 14 last week, For this time I will send my plagues to your heart and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So God doesn't want to just be known among his people, the Israelites. It's, he's not that central focused on the children of Israel. But he wanted his name to be proclaimed to all nations on the earth. In verse 16 of Exodus 9, it says, for, he says, however, I have let you stand for this reason to show my power and that my name might be proclaimed throughout all the earth. So he did this. He sent Moses, he sent Aaron to Pharaoh to tell them that God said let his people go so that he would be made known himself to Pharaoh in these final three plagues. So we're going to look at those three plagues. The eighth plague was locusts. Arbe. So the parasha starts off in chapter 10 it talks about that eighth plague. Beginning of verse 4, it says, Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your borders. They will cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the ground. They will eat the remainder of what escaped, what is left from the hail, and eat every tree that grows from you out of the field. So when the hail came, it destroyed a lot of the crops. But obviously it didn't destroy all the crops. Well, the locusts took care of what was left. They consumed the crops. They consumed all the vegetation. Anything that the hail left behind, the locusts took care of it. Now even though this was not the plague of darkness yet, this the plague of locusts was so vast that it cut off the sunlight and it wiped out their food supply. That was the most important thing about wiping out the vegetation and the crops. That was their very source of food. The book of Joel tells us that the plague of locusts will actually happen again and will again destroy the land. God's promise to Israel is that he will redeem them from all the years that the locusts have devoured. In Joel chapter 2, verse verse 25, it says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts, the swarming locusts, 
the canker worm and the caterpillar have eaten. My great army that I sent among you. You will surely eat and be satisfied and praise the name of Adonai your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Never again will my people be shamed. You will know that I am within Israel. Yes, I am Adonai your God. There is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. Well, that's not the last time we hear about locusts, is it? We uh, hear about locusts when John, in his revelation, talked about the end time plagues that would come upon the earth. And in Revelation chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, he says, Then the fifth angel trumpeted, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key to the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the pit, and smoke rose from the pit like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the pit. Then, from the smoke, came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them like the scorpions have power over the earth. And they were told to do no harm to the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, as they were permitted not to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a person. So at the beginning of that fifth shofar, when the shofar is sound, sounded in those last days, locusts came up from the bottomless pit. But they weren't going to eat the crops. They weren't going to eat the vegetation. That's not what they came for. But they're coming with that power to sting like a scorpion. Can you imagine a locust with a scorpion stinger? Well, that's what it's going to be. And it's going to torment anyone who does not have the seal of God on them. Then the ninth plague, darkness, Hosek. Ho, uh, beginning at verse 21 of Exodus 10, it's, we read that Adonai said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt. A darkness that may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They could not see one another nor could anyone rise from his place for three days. Yet all B'nai Israel had light within their dwellings. So, the ninth plague. God really hit the Egyptians with this heavy blow. Because the Egyptian sun god, Ra, was overpowered, showing the foolishness of worshipping false gods. And even though the Egyptians were immersed in total darkness, the Israelites had light in the land of Goshen. The scripture we just read said you could feel it. It was so thick, you could reach out and touch that darkness in front of you. You couldn't move. You couldn't do anything. You know, now if we shut the lights off in this sanctuary, everything will get dark. You won't see very clearly. But after a while, your eyes will adjust to the darkness. And you'll be able to see, see. Well, not the case here. They couldn't see no matter how long they stood in darkness. For three days. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is still like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. I can only imagine 
the Egyptians trying to move around in this darkness. They probably stumbled because they couldn't see what was in their way. They couldn't see each other. They bumped, probably bumped into one another, tripped over one another. It was something that we have never, and I hope we never, ever have to experience that ourselves. But how many know that even the smallest of lights will shine brightly even in the darkest place? You know, I carry a flashlight with me everywhere I go. And I can walk into a dark place, turn the flashlight on, and immediately I can see things. Well, sometimes those batteries start going dim. And the light starts dimming a little bit and even starts to flicker to let me know I need to replace the batteries. But still, that little bit of light will still shine in the darkness. I can still find my way around. Again, I would not know how to handle being in complete, utter darkness for three days, no sun, no anything, to light my way. But even today, we hear numerous reports of evil and many even in, within believing uh, believers in the Lord, have become fearful of what might come next. What's going to happen next? And regardless of that, even when there's a total, somewhat paralyzing darkness that comes upon the world, we can still have light in our dwellings, just like the Israelites did in Goshen. Maybe it's time to stop cursing the darkness and start living in the light. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12 says, Therefore, my loved ones, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For the one working in you is God, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you might be blameless and innocent. Children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among them you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the world of life, the word of life, so that you, I may boast in the day of Messiah that I did not run or labor in vain. Now, Paul was talking to a group of people in Philippi. That's what this letter was too. But how much more does this apply to us today? We see these same things happening with us. We see the grumbling. We see the arguing. We see this thing going on in this crooked and twisted generation that we live in. How much more do we need to heed these words? But instead of complaining, murmuring, finding fault in the darkness of Egypt, in our case, in the world, because that is our Egypt, we should be what God has made us to be. Lights shining in the midst of a dark and wicked generation. If we dwell on the wickedness, we dwell on the darkness, the light of Yeshua cannot shine through us. We need to overcome. When people are in this spiritual darkness, and that's really what we're talking about, it's a spiritual thing. It's not about the physical. I can deal with a little bit of darkness here or there when the lights are off. As long as I'm not spiritually darkened and become dead in that sense. But 
in spiritual darkness, most people can't think about anything else but themselves and the circumstances they're in. See, we need Yeshua because He is the light of the world. And He's the one that's going to help us break free from being preoccupied with ourselves so that we can truly love our neighbor. Far too many have become set free from darkness to live in the light, but only to stumble in the darkness of unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. We need to let these things go and walk in the light of God's Word. Unfortunately, just like the Egyptians, many in the world will one day experience the darkness within those end-time plagues that we read about in the book of Revelation. You know, I, I just attended a tenants meeting this morning here for all the pastors that are meeting in this facility. And although we have a lot of differences in the way we think, in the way we worship, we're all children of God. We're all brothers and sisters. But oftentimes we can get in this trap of criticizing the other groups because of things that they've done. Instead of focusing on what we do and how we overcome that. Yes, it's frustrating sometimes when things aren't necessarily perfect when we walk in here. But it's not enough to cause us to start slandering. It's not enough to cause us to start talking against them. It's all about learning to love one another. Living together as family. Yes, there are parts of the family come in here on different days, different times than we do. But they're still family. They're still children of God. The tenth plague. The death of the firstborn. Makat Bechorot. So we're still seeing Pharaoh refusing to repent, refusing to relent, and let the people go even after the plague of darkness. His God's just been obscured for three days. He couldn't worship his God because it was gone. But he's still hard-hearted and stubborn. So God sent the tenth and the most devastating plague of all, the death of the firstborn. In Exodus chapter 11, beginning at verse 4, we read, So Moses said, This is what Adonai says, At around midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the firstborn of the maidservant behind the mill, along with all the firstborn cattle. There will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, the likes of which has never been before nor ever will be again. So, since Pharaoh refused to let God's firstborn, Israel, go free, God took Pharaoh's firstborn and the firstborn of all of his people. 
God was sending a very clear message that he will treat the nations and individuals of those nations the same way they treat Israel. God takes action on part of his people. And he brings judgment on Israel's enemies. It's just tragic that it took the death of his own child to humble Pharaoh and make him submit to letting God's children go free. I pray that our hearts will always be submissive toward the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, so that God never has to use these kind of desperate measures like the plagues of Egypt to break through our stubbornness and our pride to bring us into holiness before Him. But at this point, during this tenth plague, just before it comes in, Moses prepares the Israelites for this final judgment by instructing them to sacrifice a lamb. In Exodus 12:7, we read, They will take the blood and to put it on the two doorposts and on the cross beam of the houses where they will eat it. Then in verse 13, it says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So there will no be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So see, this plague was going to affect both the Israelites and the Egyptians. If the Israelites did not follow these instructions to put the blood on their doorposts and on the crossbeam of their doors, their firstborn would have also been slain that night. And in this parasha, we are actually given the ordinance of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, again, verse, beginning at verse 14, it says, This day is to be a memorial for you. You are to keep it as a feast to Adonai. Throughout your generations, you are to keep it as an eternal ordinance. How long is eternal? Never ending. For seven days, you are to eat matzot. But on the first day, you must remove chametz from your houses. For whoever eats chametz, or leaven, from the first day until the seventh day, that soul will be cut off from Israel. The first day is to be a holy assembly for you, as well as the seventh day. No manner of work is to be done on those days except what is to be eaten by every person. That alone may be prepared by you. So you would observe the feats of Matzot. For this, on this very same day, I have brought your ranks out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you are to observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. During the first month, in the evening of the 14th day of the month, you are to eat Matzot until the evening of the 21st day of the month. For seven days, no chametz, no leaven is to be found in your houses. For whoever eats leaven or chametz, that soul will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an outsider or one who is born in the land. You are to eat no chametz in all your houses. You are to eat matzot. Keep in mind, and I brought it up last week as well, during the Seder, part of the liturgy, part of the Haggadah says that we're supposed to teach our children as if we ourselves personally came out of Egypt. We're to put ourselves here in verses 14 through 20, receiving the instructions of the Passover in how we observe that particular feast. And that's why to this day, 
we still celebrate this miraculous event of Passover every year. Notice in everything that happened, God said He's going to do all these things, and He did everything that He declared. Not one word that He spoke was unfulfilled. So we should also trust in God's faithfulness, trust in His power, trust in His mercy now and in the future. Because anything He said He's going to do, He is going to do if He hasn't already done it. By the way, and I mentioned this before, more and more churches are commemorating Passover. Because it becomes a foreshadowing of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lamb of God. He was ultimately sacrificed to deliver us from God's judgment. In Exodus chapter 13, we actually read about the redeeming of the firstborn. Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn from every womb of B'nai Israel, both men and animals. This is mine. So because he spared the firstborn of all the Israelites and, of course, any of the Egyptians that may have followed what the Israelites were doing, he commanded them to consecrate or set apart their firstborn and that they would be consecrated for him. And he declared that they would be his. That's why there's a tradition in uh, in the Jewish faith that the firstborn would fast before Passover, the day before Passover, because he was spared. So it became traditional. Now, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, For I do not want you to become ignorant, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They all were immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Messiah. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. For they were struck down in the desert. Now these things happened as examples for us. So we wouldn't crave evil things just as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written... The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And let's not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. And let's not test the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. And let's not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroying angel. Now these things happened to them as an example. And it was written down as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let the one who thinks that he stands watch out that he doesn't fall. No temptation has taken hold of you except what is common to mankind. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so you will be able to endure it. See, the stories we read, the accounts we read, the things that are in the Torah are not just for historical purposes. They're life lessons and instructions for every generation. I used the illustration last week from the Twilight Zone episode 
to serve man. It was a cookbook. And I said, this is our cookbook. It gives us the recipes for our lives. It gives us the instructions how to put those things together the way God intended them to happen so that we could live with and in Him. We're commanded again to recall this story of Passover and celebrate it keeping with the instructions that are found in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3, which says, Do this so that all the days of your life you will remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Egypt is called Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim means literally a narrow place or a tight spot. Another way to say it is it's constricted. When we want to do good deeds, we're constricted and become limited by the Mitzrayim that's within us. The story of the Exodus is a reminder that God frees us from our constraints and our selfish tendencies through the blood of the Lamb, Yeshua HaMashiach. God lets us free, sets us free, and then empowers us by living His life through us. I shared these two stories once before, but I think they, they really fit and give you a little bit of a picture of what's going on here. The first one is entitled, Who is Your Partner? So a man came to rabbi for advice. None of, it's none of you and it's not me, okay? I'm not the rabbi that... There's a business available for sale which is not doing well now, but I feel that I can turn it around and make it profitable. Should I buy it? Rabbi told him, no, I don't think this is for you. The next day, someone else came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, there is a business for sale which is not doing well. I feel that with God's help, I could turn it around and make it profitable. Should I buy it? The rabbi said, go ahead, buy it, and you have my blessings. When the first person heard that the rabbi advised the other one to buy the business, he was very upset. Rabbi, why didn't you tell me to buy it? Well, when you asked me if you should buy the business, you said that you would turn it around. So I told you not to buy it because I felt it would be too much for you to accomplish. The other person asked me if he should buy the business, which he could turn around with the help of God. With a partner like that, I told him to go ahead. Whatever we do, whatever we say, we have to do it with God. We're not just on, the, on our own here. We have his support if we allow his Ruach, his Holy Spirit, to act through us. The other story is entitled, Are You a Slave? It's the story of a wealthy man who had many servants. He was unkind and had a violent temper. If a servant didn't fulfill his wishes, he would be beaten mercilessly. Once, when he was beating one of his servants, a wise man happened to walk by. He stopped and said, It is neither proper nor ethical for one, to, one slave to be hitting another slave. What do you mean, one slave hitting another, declared the rich man angrily. I am the owner, and he is my slave. You are mistaken. In my opinion, you are more of a slave than he is. He, unfortunately, has no choice that he is a slave. But you, who cannot control your anger are indeed enslaved to your evil temper and temptations. Your anger 
is your master and ruler, and you are enslaved to it. Yeshua said in John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's children, and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Yeshua answered them, Amen, Amen, I tell you. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now the slave does not remain in the household forever. The son abides forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So remember what we said last week. And we said that the goal of freedom from Egypt wasn't just freedom from slavery. It was a freedom to worship God. See, God is supreme over all. I think we can all agree there. But without the knowledge of what is right and wrong, and where do we find that? In His Word. Without the knowledge of good and bad, where do we find that? In His Word. We can never be considered free. Not in the true sense of freedom. We're caught up in a bondage now known as the world. The world around us, the world within us, the world beside us is our bondage. We need to break free from that. How do we do it? We stay true to God. Allow His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit to live through us. Yielding us to To Him, walking in the path He has for us, not deviating from it, but following His every intention for us. Once again, where do we find that? In His Word. Bottom line is this. Those who love God will resist evil and will continue to be true to the very end. God is just. He's a just God. He doesn't do things just to do things. He doesn't want to control us. He wants us to take the initiative and learn what He wants us to do so that we do it willingly, so that we can obey Him, we can trust Him, and walk in His ways. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we do thank and bless You. For You are the supreme God over all. You do care for us. You do care about us. You want us to be free from the cares of the world. You want us to be free from bitterness, from stubbornness. You want us to be free from ourselves that we can do Your will. You want us to be ambassadors of Your kingdom. But if we don't do the things of Your kingdom, we can't be ambassadors for that kingdom. Open our eyes to see through the darkness. Open our eyes to see the things that will set us free to worship You. We pray, Lord God, as we leave this place today, that we would never leave Your presence. It's not about a building, Lord. It's about a family. It's about a relationship. 
a relationship with you, the true and living God. And if this building didn't exist, we need to be fixed on you, following you. Let us always remember that, Lord, that we will never falter, that we will never fail. Well, we thank you, Lord, for Yeshua. When we do stumble, we can reach out. His hand will be there to pick us up. Keep us pure in your sight. Keep us set apart for you. Keep us out of the Egypt of our lives and in your kingdom forever. In Yeshua's name, amen.